It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Oh boy, am I excited this week. I am uh, so excited I almost forgot to say hello. Hi, my name is Jamie Dew and this is the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Please, before you enter, wipe your feet. We've got, a, uh, we've got a quality shine to these floors that we have to maintain you know, in, in these situations. How are you doing? I hope you're well. I mentioned off the top that I'm excited, and I'm, I'm excited because today we're talking about Jen Hooks, who is quite possibly uh, my first comedy crush. I started watching SNL in or around 1986, and I remember just being smitten right away that this person could be so lovely, so talented, and so funny. So there's that. I hope you are ready to uh, have your socks knocked off because we've got Bill Kenny from the SNL Network joining us, and he will be having a conversation with Thomas about Ms. Hooks. But before we get into that, uh, let's go over to our friend Matt Ardill and Matt's Minutia Minute. Matt, how are you doing this week? I am great. Thanks, Jamie. And you? I'm excited. Jen Hooks, right? Yeah, yeah. Jen, she's a, an amazing performer. Um, she was born in, uh, April tw- on April 23rd, 1957. She passed away on October 9th of 2014, sadly, uh, to leukemia. Uh, but she was an incredible performer, really respected by her peers. Uh, her first season was in October it was on uh, or her first episode was on October 11th of 1986 in season 12. Uh, this was during the uh, Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz era. Um, that was the year that A. Whitney Brown and Kevin Nealon first started as featured players, and uh, she went in only for four seasons. Uh, actually, I had always felt longer, uh, but uh, yeah, she her last season or last episode was May 18th of 1991. Uh, when she retired, um, but after that, she did do nine. Uh, she was back as a special guest nine times between 1992 and 1994. Nine times. So uh, she is. It was an interesting period that she was on um, because that was during that post Dick Ebersol period, where I think Lauren was still trying to figure it out. He uh, was experimenting with formatting. Uh, had like the middle players segment that they only really had for like three or four years. Right. Um, she went straight to a repertory player. Uh, she was actually originally supposed to be a part of the infamous Robert Downey Jr. Uh, era, but she was passed up as the rumor is Lauren said she was too old, but she was passed up for Joan Cusack. And uh, when they burnt that cast to the ground, they came back and said, hey, would you be interested in in joining the cast? So, uh, oh, what a yeah. good day that was! Yeah, yeah, and they were they were uh, much better for it because she is an incredible. F- Nothing against Joan. I love you and all of your brothers' movies and the movies that you've done on your own. You're a wonderful performer, Joan, but uh, not quite the right fit for SNL, I don't think. Um, yeah, she has some great characters uh, like the uh, Candy Sweeney of the Sweeney Sisters. Um, yes. Marge Keister, uh, Miss Connie, but her, I have to say, I always loved her impressions, like Ivana Trump, Nancy Reagan, Tammy Faye Baker was spot on. It she was beat, so which, great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean, she was in all sorts of other things. I mean, she was a groundling along with Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman. Uh, she had a very strong relationship with Phil, um, uh, who's kind of her rock in many interviews, how she she would discuss how he would help her through stage fright uh, before shows. Um, and, you know, she was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. 
she was in the Simpsons uh, for for the longest time as well. Uh, and yeah, she she even dated Kevin Nealon prior to joining SNL. So they were dating as she went into SNL, uh, which oh, wow. would have made for a weird dynamic, I think, on set when your when your boyfriend is on set with you. But uh, yeah, and they remained pretty close. So she was a really inc- interesting and incredible player. Yeah, I agree. One of my favorites, really. Uh, tried to get her onto the list last year. This year, it was it was really easy when we met with the Board of Governors. They were like, Jen Hooks has to be nominated. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, and it, 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 the, she is one of those people who, who can play so silly, but can also, like, there, the, there's a film, um, Love is a Dream, that yes. they played when both she passed away and when Phil passed away. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, she can play melancholy. Like, they don't yeah. do that as much anymore. Like, in the early years, they would have the shorts, and sometimes they could get dark and and weird. And sometimes melan- it's very sweet. Yeah, and I mean, this sort of fit into that, like, oh, this is this is lovely. Yeah. And, and I mean, it just speaks to the power of both her and Phil as performers, that they could create the sweet three-minute, three-and-a-half-minute video that just transports you. And, you know, not every SNL cast member can say they can do that. Like, there, there are some, but there are a lot who uh, would be too busy looking for the gag in the moment to, to be able to bring you that. Yeah, she was one of a kind. Indeed. Bill Kenny, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, been looking forward to uh, to talking about Jan for a long time, and uh, it's been a fun uh, deep dive back into her career, which I like to do anyway. So, yeah, yeah, no, it was very fun for me too. And I know uh, we we've had a lot of discussions uh, recently, actually, about like Jan Hooks. Uh, so, so you're the perfect person. Uh, when we knew that we wanted to cover Jan Hooks this season, I immediately said. Bill Kenny's going to be my guest. So, so happy to have you today. Well, thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah. So Jan Hooks uh, is a Georgia girl. I want to talk a little bit about her pre-SNL days. She got her start on TV. I guess she was one of the people who before SNL actually did a little television sketch comedy. So can you, can you kind of set the table for people as far as what Jan Hooks career looked like before she got to SNL? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty interesting, especially for the times, because, you know, it was kind of a, a very different world back then. Uh, obviously, you know, cable was just getting started and, you know, no YouTube, no Internet, obviously. But Jan found uh, a way on. She, she had started at the Groundlings, uh, where so many of uh, the greatest SNL of all time have started. But then she ended up on this little remembered uh, but very funny show called Tush. And it was uh, a guy who worked for Ted Turner on uh, the burgeoning uh, WTBS superstation in Atlanta. And uh, it was just this kind of weird, crazy uh, sketch show. And she couldn't have been more than 23, 24 years old, if that. And uh, you can already see at that point what she's going to become. Uh, she, She had the comedy chops, as they say, right out of the gate. No, no issues uh, with with being funny, and no matter what she was put in, whether the sketch was funny or not, she was funny, and that only lasted for a year. But then she moved on to uh, the little more remembered, not necessarily the news yes. on HBO, yes. uh, and she had a little bit more luck on there, and uh, then ended up on SNL in '86. So, yeah. So I imagine Tush was maybe I kind of liken it a little bit in my mind to what. NWA wrestling or like WCW was to like TBS, like maybe Ted Turner wasn't as hands-on. Would that be, would that be fair to say? Yeah. yeah, You know, he kind of let them have their playground to kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. And I mean, the, the funny story behind Bill Tush himself is that he was hired on uh, TBS because 
Ted Turner was told he had to do a news show if he wanted to be a superstation. Uh, he wasn't told what time of day it had to be on or anything like that. So he did this news st- show at like 3.30 in the morning <laughs> and turned it into a comedy show. And that was yeah. what... Uh, so it was almost like Ted owed him a favor after that and kind of just let him play. And again, I mean, not as many people... I don't think TBS was in nearly as many homes at the time. It was a superstation for maybe a year at that right. point. You know, it, it wasn't as nationwide known as, as it became in the mid-80s. So we're going to give people in the Atlanta area uh, a chance. We're going to give them a little creative space to kind of do this show here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And growing up too, I remember um, you had mentioned not necessarily necessarily the news. That's something that I watched a lot sure. as kind of a weird eight-year-old comedy fan. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Imagine an eight-year-old watching not necessarily the news, but I enjoyed it. And just as a refresher, like how would you how would you describe not necessarily the news? It, it was almost like a, a prehistoric daily show. Um, you know, they, they did this set behind a, a news desk, and but then they would throw it to correspondents out in the field and things like that. And it was on HBO, so there was no censorship. There was no, you know, rules about anything. So, and HBO was was really starting to get into, uh, you know, doing some of these shows like that. They had First and Ten. Uh, they had this show. So, uh, this was kind of the beginning of HBO finding their original programming, and they also were able to kind of do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you also had there's some SNL ties there too. You had Rich Hall, who was a yeah. cast member on there. Conan O'Brien, Greg Daniels was a part of it. Harry Shearer, I think mm-hmm. post SNL, Harry Shearer had some involvement and in not not necessarily the news. So yeah, and I guess you know for a long time there, I didn't even realize Jan was was a part of that show. So two things that I enjoyed. I didn't know we're actually connected. Right, right. Kind of blows your mind when you're younger, right? Yeah, no kidding. All sorts of stuff. Yeah. So after, you know, Tush and not necessarily the news, we get Jan starting off at SNL. So you're an SNL historian. Um, How would you characterize where the show was around the time, (laughs) around the time Jan started on SNL? Where was the show? Well, you know, the funny thing, I always say this because everybody always says, you know, your favorite cast is the one when you were in high school or middle school. And and that is true for me as well. But I often wonder if I had been a fan just two or three years earlier, would I have become a super fan and a historian? Because, <laughs> boy, it was in a bad place. Uh, Lauren Michaels had come back in 85 and actually rejected Jan uh, and in favor of Joan Cusack, which is funny in itself. But season 11, which preceded Jan and the rest of them coming on, was an outright disaster other yes. than John Lovitz. And for the first time in its history, it only got renewed for 13 episodes. Um, it wasn't guaranteed a full season. It was in a lot of trouble. And it's very rarely been on that kind of chopping block. You could say after season 20 that it, it kind of was teetering as well. But it's very rarely been... Like, oh, this show might go away. <laughs> yeah, people um, talk about Saturday Night Dead, and that was um, that was literally, yes. almost literally about to happen right. uh, around that time. And as a refresher for people, that was the season where, I guess, Lorne really experimented. So he brought in people with who already had names, like Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., yep. um, Damon Wayans was in the cast before he got fired. Randy uh, Quaid. Yeah, Randy Quaid, Joan Cusack, yep. as you mentioned. So it was a lot of people uh, maybe who were already established and Lorne was just kind of experimenting with that season. And as you mentioned, uh, it was a disaster. And at the end of the season, Lorne almost literally just kind of set the season on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Final yeah. sketch uh, has Billy Martin uh, as the host uh, setting the stage on fire and uh, Lauren famously comes in and only saves Lovitz. <laughs> Billy, what are you doing? I'm setting a room on fire. That's what I'm doing. What do you mean? What do I mean? Listen, Michaels, if I'm fired, then I'm taking the cast with me. Billy, are you crazy? If you set the cast on fire, they won't be able to do the show next year. That's right, Big Shot. <laughs> I've got to go in there. What are you doing? 
doing? I gotta wave goodbye. Don't ask any questions, John. Just go downstairs to my limousine and wait for me there. While Nora and Dennis ended up surviving as well, uh, that was kind of the like, okay, this this is done now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, everybody remembers that that Lovitz got saved, but you're right, Dennis Miller got saved. Um, ultimately, not in the sketch, but in real life, she got right. Uh, he got right. saved, and also, um, as you mentioned, Nora Dunn was one of the holdovers. Uh, so we go into season twelve, and I think that's a good, actually, a really good segue to start talking about Jan Hook's work on SNL. Right away, we see chemistry that she had with Nora Dunn. Um, yes. What do you remember about that partnership? It's it's so crazy to look back on it. And, you know, there was so much talk this past season about uh, James Austin Johnson coming out of the gate. You know, back in the day when there was an entirely new cast, mostly, these people had to kind of put themselves out there and become stars immediately. And, you know, the cast was tiny. You know, it was seven people plus one featured player. So there was no choice but to be funny right out of the gate. And you had Dana Carvey doing his, you know, chopping broccoli in the first episode. And you had Phil Hartman in so many different things. But Jan kind of, she was in the background in a few things uh, that first episode. But by the second episode is when we see the Sweeney sisters for the first time. And that's probably the most remembered character that Jan had. Yeah, definitely. She and Nora Dunn, of course, the Sweeney sisters, they did that 10 different times on the show throughout a few seasons. I think that was the the most sketches that Jan did that was recurring. Um, yes. It was as part of the Sweeney sisters. And as you mentioned, that was in her second episode that she and Nora did that. And Nora Dunn has said that she and Jan actually had to fight for the sketch because the writers said it was too much like Nick the Lounge Singer, of course, right. the famous Bill Murray character. But then everybody fell in love with it at read-through. Can you speak on kind of the similarities, but also ultimately differences between the Sweeney sisters and Nick the Lounge Singer? I, I mean, you can't deny the similarities. There's obviously, you know, this lounge fly uh, kind of singer who's, you know, riffing off of whatever current music or whatever place he's in and, and gone, going out to the crowd. And there was that aspect of it. But Jan and Nora had the combo. They had the duo of each other to play off of. And I think that in itself made it so much different. And they found a way to, you know, where Nick was often in a bar. These guys were everywhere. They were in a Jewish retirement home. They were in a jail cell. They were in a ski lodge. They so a Christmas party. Christmas party. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And actually, the first episode, I mean, you can see these characters are almost fully formed right from the start, even though they're not called the same thing. I forget what, I think their names were Marianne and Fran or something <laughs> like that. But other than that, and everything else about these characters was already in place. Yeah. I mean, they played off each other so well. Uh, my favorite out of those has to be the Paul Simon one. You know, Paul Simon's kind of trying to hide out in this, you know, ski lodge, and he doesn't want to be bothered by people. And of course, they turn it right into a Paul Simon medley of songs and, you know, sing to him and go over to the table. And, and uh, Jan famously goes over and sings Bridge Over Troubled Water. And then they always end it with, you know, clang, 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 went the trolley. And yeah, that, that was kind of the famous, if there yes. was a catchphrase, I guess, right? Uh, with the Sweeney sisters, that would be it. And they were so darn charming to Paul Simon that, oh. that he started, you know, the bit was that he was like, nah, I just kind of want to be in the background. And then they actually got him to participate. That's right. That's right. <laughs> in the song. Hop off so the bus, Gus. Pop, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We'd like to help you with your problem to be free. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. Just slip out the back. Jack. Yeah! Just make a new plan. Stan. <laughs> no need to be coy. Roy. Just listen to me. What was it about, specifically about Jan that kind of popped out to you? It could be the Sweeney sisters or just kind of like when you first started noticing her kind of just what popped out well she she was game for anything and uh you know i i think uh you know one of the things that she did differently than the six years prior to her uh on snl you know that's that's one of the dark secrets uh dark sides of snl uh, was that from 80 to 86 there wasn't a lot of work for the women on the show and the very talented mary gross and robin duke and julie louis dreyfus 
were relegated to housewives and, and these background roles for the most part. And it was a shame. And that's one of the reasons why I think Jan is so important to the history of the show, because she didn't do it herself by herself, but being part of such a great cast and she differentiated herself and, and made herself stand out, especially among the female cast. Her, her impressions were fantastic. Uh, Tammy Faye Baker obviously is, uh, you know, uh, she famously says in uh, the Live from New York book that she suggested it at the beginning uh, when she was on the show, and nobody knew who this woman was. You know, she was just this person down in in the South, uh, you know, and but then the scandal broke in early 87 in her mm-hmm. first season, and she got to do it and famously did it on uh, Church Chat. Well, thank you, church lady. It was kind of you to invite us here. And, you know, I just want to thank all our partners for all their love and their support and their prayers. So she was, Tammy Faye Baker was someone who Jan would see on television. That's right. And thought was just this outrageous character. But then, of course, her Tammy Faye's husband, Jim Baker, got caught up in a scandal. And so... Right great excuse for uh, uh, for Jan to, to pull that one out and uh, on church chat for Jim to get shamed by the church lady. That's right. That all coalesced. That was perfect timing. Thank you so much for bringing up that point about Jan and her role because back then in the, what well, we're talking about like mid eighties, there was still, I mean, so much misogyny, especially in the comedy world. Oh. That whole ridiculous notion that that women aren't funny or whatever still permeated the comedy yeah. world like it was definitely a boys club so that's such a such a great point about jan and to and to another extent you know nora uh, but you know jan's role in kind of breaking through uh, yeah. right there that's such a salient observation yeah i mean that's i i think that is one of the most important things you know that we were we were right at the point of comedy in general finally getting to the point of acknowledging women, you know, with Roseanne Barr getting her own show, uh, uh, her own sitcom, and then Elaine Boozler and, and things of that nature. But Jan was definitely at the forefront of that. So Yes, definitely. Well, since we're on the subject of Jan's partnership with Nora Dunn, um, I want to continue this. But first, I have, uh, leading into this, I have a little uh, game for you. Bill, are yep. you ready? I'm just kind of springing a game on you. Oh, boy. All right. So you've played. I was two told truths. there'd be no math. <laughs> <laughs> you've played two truths and a lie. I'm sure you know. Do you know what that is? Uh, I believe okay. I do. All right. <laughs> Refresh so I'm going to name. Okay. So this is going to be related to attitudes, the sketch that Nora uh, or uh, Jan and Nora did together. Yes. And so I'm going to say three things, and two of them will be true, and one of them will be a lie, and you have to spot the lie. Okay, yeah. All righty. So, in Attitudes, that sketch usually featured eccentric guests that Nora and Jan would interview. Yes. So, which one of these statements is a lie? John Malkovich appeared on Attitudes as Len Tuckwilla, and he was a driftwood sculptor. Ted Danson appeared on Attitudes as Arnold Tellman, and he made wicker ornaments. And Woody Harrelson appeared on Attitudes as Paul Tinso, and he made clay miniatures so which one of those is false i know malkovich is true for sure i'm gonna say ted danson ted danson did not appear on attitudes yeah as a wicker ornament maker yes you're correct yes (laughs) so john malkovich appeared on attitudes great job bill see you were like flustered at the beginning but i knew (laughs) i knew you had it (laughs) so john malkovich appeared as a driftwood sculptor uh woody harrelson appeared as clayman interest just for extra credit do you remember remember the other guests uh gina davis for sure Mm -hmm. um she collected vintage items um for presumably a, a thrift store that's the only one I can remember off the top of my head, yeah. And then they had Christopher Walken on, who was Rainbow Head, who was a yes. big sports fan. Yeah, and that's yes. kind of the one that actually really stood out to me. Okay. Uh, yeah. was when Christopher Walken was on. So those, those attitudes, uh, for me, as much as the Sweeney sisters, the attitude sketches, which was based on a real show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those attitude sketches really resonated with me. Do you have fond memories of those? It's funny because it's not a show that I ever would have watched on my own, but I can remember coming home from school and my mother would have that on on Lifetime. And I was kind of amazed at how well both Jan and Nora were able to nail these two women, uh, Linda Dana and uh, D. 
Oh, I can't think of her last name, but her, her first name was D, the one that Jan played. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my favorite things and was how they, you know, they had these eccentric guests on, but them as host Nora and Jan as host kind of shuffled between genuine interest and almost like <laughs> mocking sort of sarcasm. Right. And I couldn't tell where they were necessarily at any given point during the interview because Nora would do her lean in and seem real <laughs> fascinated. And then Jan would talk about this really mundane topic, just super excited. Now, you have become the hottest hot, hot, hot. new artist on the West Coast. Yeah. yeah. Now, well, tell us what you do and, and how you've done yeah, it. Yeah. Actually, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. Bothell, Washington. Oh. Mm -hmm. And what are, you, what are you doing out there in the art community that's just blowing, blowing their everybody mind. away? I'm a driftwood sculptor. Oh. <laughs> it was just such wonderful, I don't know, like they, they would have just such great turns of phrase. And was there something about Jan in, in those attitude sketches that... That, that made her endearing to you as much as she was to me? Well, she, she was the second banana, both on the actual show and on the parody of the show. And uh, she kind of let Nora just run away with it. And she, she didn't mind being in the background in that sense, uh, you know, uh, and showing the empathy to these guests as Linda Dana was, you know, leaning in. And yes. yeah. Yeah. She had such great, she's such a great facial actor or actor yes. too, Jan. Yeah. Like, yeah, just in those attitude sketches. That's why I say I couldn't tell if it was sar sarcastic or not. And it might have been both at the same time, both genuine interest and sarcasm. Nice. But Jan just had this big, bright smile on our on her face. Like, yeah, I'm <laughs> listening. This is so interesting. And yeah. She, yeah, she was just, she was just so endearing, man. Gosh. So, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of let, let you run with uh, wherever you think you should go uh, next. Well, I mean, the, the one that she's, not most famous for, but definitely up there uh, uh, was the Brenda the Waitress sketch with also with Nora and Alec Baldwin mm -hmm. and Phil and, and Kevin are diners uh, at the time. And she goes back and forth. You, you talk about this with attitudes. She was able to go back between being sweet to these two, you know, very sweet diner uh, restaurant uh, customers. Sweet and, and simple. Yes. yes. And then turning a couple of feet and talking to Alec and, you know, flirting slash fighting with this guy who comes in off the street and, you know, the double entendre of it all, uh, you know, there's free pie with your meal. Uh, mm -hmm. You shouldn't give away your, your pie with breakfast. It makes you look cheap. And, you know, this is one of Alec's first time hosting and uh, it showed what a great host he was going to become, but she really carries this sketch. And uh, she, she just had that ability to go, from you know turn it on and and do another kind of attitude with uh with the sketch so that that was amazing to me what she was able to do in this oh man his top just makes me crazy Phew. look at him sitting on that stool like he's doing it a favor <laughs> well you know what he can just sit there forever as far as i'm concerned i just don't care However, my job description requires me to go down and find out exactly what he wants. Yeah, I love that one. And it was almost like there, there were a handful of characters that I loved from her that were like Southern Bells, but with sass. Yeah. And Jan just, yeah, she did that so well. Uh, well nobody played a waitress like Jan. And, nobody uh, played it, a waitress like Jan. And, and, and nobody played a whore like Jan. She, she, <laughs> she, she joked on the 15th anniversary that she had just broken the record for playing four whores in one episode, uh, <laughs> a, a record previously held by Buck Henry. So yeah. that was... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you, Jan. <laughs> Definitely. Um, another partnership that I'd like to talk about, we talked about her chemistry and partnership with Nora Dunn, which popped on screen. Another one was with uh, Phil Hartman. Yeah. Um, that I think that she was like very well known for. Oh, I, I would put them up there with the best duos of all time uh, uh, in SNL history. You know, she she had a very famous stage fright kind That's of right. along the lines of Bill Hader, where every every show she was terrified to uh, to go on the stage. And she would talk about how Phil would grab her hand before a sketch and, you know, help her get out there and, and get over that fear. And, uh, you know, this is why they were 
bonded together so often. You know, she played so many roles with him, Bill and Hillary and Ron and Nancy and Jim and Tammy Faye, as we've we've talked about. But then they could just be in a sketch as husband and wife. They they had such a great, playful way of of working together um, and elevating each other's games. And, and, you know, Phil is up there with one of the greatest cast members of all time as well. So the fact that these two people were working together on a weekly basis uh, was was a treat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm reminded immediately one that I really remember when I was a kid was The Honest Man with Joe with Joe Montana when uh, yeah. Phil Hartman and Jan were on a date and right. the, they had their inner monologues going that were saying what they were really thinking and then Joe <laughs> Montana comes in and kind of says this kind of famous line that he he tells them that if he if they need him he's going to be in his room masturbating <laughs> that's right that's right so and yeah so that was a great chemistry between phil and jan right there like you said and of course love is a dream yeah. is the phil and jan sketch like well like t- yeah tell us about about love is a dream well i i mean it's and it's such a sad kind of segue um, that they, the last time Jan was on stage at SNL was the 25th anniversary in 1999. And she was on stage with the entire 86 to 91 cast, Dennis and John and, and Mike Myers. And, and they introduced this, uh, Phil had just passed, you know, a year earlier. And uh, her and John introduced love is a dream and, and spoke about you know how important it was and and you know it kind of shows this beauty between these two and then sadly 15 years later bill Hader and Kristen wig the night jan passed go on stage and introduce the same piece and that just speaks to you know how important these two were to each other and there's not a bit of comedy in this you know this right. this was you know just sweet uh melancholy you know, this this older couple who, well, older woman who goes into the bank into the safe deposit box and looks at this tiara that she had worn when she was a young woman. And she, you know, remembers. And it's, you know, Phil, of course. And uh, he's singing as uh, Bing Crosby. Um, it's it's a movie from the 40s. I, Emperor, Emperor's Waltz, I believe it was called. And... They just kind of dub over, and he he seems like he's singing to her, and then she sings to him, and then it cuts back to you know the current time, and she's an old lady, and she leaves this bank, and there's Phil standing outside the building as you know the security guard, and he winks at her. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was just very poignant, uh, something SNL didn't dive into very often, and uh, you know Schiller was really good at this uh, making the films. Uh, but this was one of his masterpieces, and the fact that it's these two people who we lost way too early is uh, is even more so. Yeah, definitely. Every every so often, the show would do something that, as you mentioned, didn't have comedy in it. Sometimes it was a Tom Schiller video. I think Schiller was behind the John Belushi yes um, um, movie as well. That and I, I don't know if I remember much comedy. Not really. In I mean, that, it was it was of, played tongue in cheek, yeah, but you know, it, but it wasn't like a slap in the face comedic. And love in the love, right. love is a dream was definitely played for just being a heartfelt thing, and that just goes to show with not only Phil but with Jan, just how beloved they both were. That you know, there there didn't have to be any jokes in this. We could just see two people who had a, had definite definite chemistry and a definite that they they loved each other, but just like in a friendly way Jan yes. and Phil loved each other and that just came across so beautifully um, absolutely in love love is a dream so if anybody hasn't seen that or hasn't seen that in a while <laughs> go uh, go check that out for sure definitely my favorite you know we've talked about some of Jan's famous sketches Sweeney sisters attitudes uh, love is a dream her Tammy Faye Baker impression my favorite thing <laughs> that Jan did on the show was the Betty Davis video will yes. sketch to me? If someone was to ask me what do you love about Jan Hooks, I would show her the be- show them the Betty Davis video will sketch. Um, That's right. Do, do do you do you have any memories of that <laughs> Betty Davis sketch? Well, as you'll know, uh, earlier this season, uh, Keenan did a video will in an episode, yes. um, and 
the best part about it was that it brought people back to this Betty Davis sketch because they're like, well, Keenan did this really well, but let me show you something that's even a little bit better. And, uh, you know, her Betty Davis impression was fantastic. Late in life, Betty Davis, angry at the world. Um, and Angry you know, at her, her daughter specifically <laughs> for specifically, writing a tell-all book. Right. Yeah. Hated the lawyer too, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know. And they, uh, you know, it was this video will after her death and, you know, her children are called into the office and, uh, you know, have to sit through this painstakingly long video of her talking about the old days in Hollywood and, you know, going off on tangents. And finally, Nora, as her daughter says, you know, just fast forward through this. <laughs> and, you know, this is the technology of the late 80s. They're, they pretend to fast forward the tape and you hear, you know, anybody who hasn't had a VCR, the scanning noise, the... Mm-hmm. And little do we know at the beginning of this that that's Jan also making that noise. Like, yeah. and the only way we know is by the third or fourth time they do this, they cut back to her too quickly, and there's Jan going, and but immediately recovers, goes back into the Betty Davis voice, and and doesn't miss a beat. And uh, I mean, it's a, just a tour de force of comedy, and you know, eventually gets to the end of it and says that you know. Nora's not getting anything and, you know, she hates her for writing a book about her and she laughs hysterically for ad infinitum. So uh, just a perfect, perfect sketch in every way. Yeah. And that, that uh, rewatching it made me realize that she might be the best maniacal laugher (laughs) in SNL history or one of the best. Absolutely. That that laughing that she was doing as Betty (laughs) Davis at the end of that sketch was just amazing. I could oh not God. laugh like that, but she was just keeping it going. And, oh God, that was so great. And I think it was appropriate that you you said that she, uh, Nora Dunn as her daughter was totally left out of the will, but the person who was given all the money was her son who was played by Phil Hartman. Right. And, and it's the perfect encapsulation also of that era. You know, um, there were no superstars. They were, they were all so great. And the fact that John Lovitz, as the lawyer and Phil and Nora as the children are just playing these very straight people, you know, not a laugh among them. She gets all the laughs and, you know, it just worked out that the next sketch, somebody else would get the laughs and Mm -hmm. it never seemed to be an issue with who was going to be the, the king or the queen of the show. And that's why I think it's the best era of SNL for sure. Yeah, It's certainly the era, you know, Jan was on from, 1985, 86, 86 to, to 1991. Yeah. yeah. And that was definitely the era that was my cast yeah. too. So Jan was definitely a huge part of that. So are there any other characters or, or, or sketches that, that we need to talk about as far as her hall of fame candidacy? Well, I, I think the only other thing I would bring up and, and it's, it's, it also speaks to how great she was and how important she was to the show. So in 1991, she decides to leave. Now this is a different era of SNL where if you were going to do something else, a movie, a TV show, a directing gig, you pretty much had to leave the show. You know, Lauren wasn't going to let you split your time, and she was going to do Designing Women. So she left the show. But then she was on the show nine more times from 92 to 94 as Hillary Clinton and was always credited as a special guest. And I, I believe that this is the only time in the history of the show that a former cast member was credited as a special guest. Now, obviously, you know, Tina came back and, and you know, we've had multiple cameos Maya and things Rudolph of that nature. Most recently, yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But I think this was really the only time that someone in the opening credits was credited as a special guest that was a former cast member. That's how important she was to the show. And she came back to play Hillary, uh, uh, a beginning of the Clinton era, mm-hmm. to Phil's bill. Yeah. And... You know, we've seen Amy and Kate over the last, you know, 15, 20 years take their, have their own wonderful take on, on, on Hillary Clinton, but she was the first and, you know, it's a more subtle, keep saying subtle here. It was a more subtle impersonation. It was, you know, an earlier version of what we came to know, but she still played it very well. And uh, the fact that they needed her to come back and play this instead of uh, any of the female cast members was, was a testament to her. 
Yeah, definitely. Very memorable uh, as the first Hillary, Hillary Clinton on SNL. So the two most prominent things I think after she did after SNL, you mentioned designing women. She was on for a couple seasons and she also was on Third Rock from the Sun in the late 90s there. Um, appeared in a couple of episodes of 30 Rock actually as Jenna Maroney's mom. Yes. Uh, which I think was wonderful casting. And Tina Fey does this she had cast buck henry as her dad as liz lemon's dad in 30 rock she cast jan hooks as jenna's mom nice little nod to to snl history from tina oh without a doubt and tina said as much that you know jan was one of her main influences and uh jan sadly towards the end of her life wasn't working very much uh for whatever reason maybe was stage said fright that we had we had alluded to stage fright i, I wonder if I think that was part of it for sure. Uh, I think she had other illnesses that she was dealing with, but, you know, apparently she was working just enough to uh, keep her health insurance, her SAG health insurance, but somehow Tina talked her into doing two episodes, and I'm so glad that she did because we got to see her one more time as this incredible uh, tour de force. Yeah, as a, you know, uh, that was such an exciting, as a big 30 Rock fan. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah I like both of us are probably big 30 Rock fans. That was such an exciting thing to see Jan Hooks pop up on the screen. Yes. Like I, 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 it, was, it was like I was a kid again. <laughs> That's watching right. Watching her in SNL. It was so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so she passed away, sadly, October 9th, 2014. Um, mm. I know that hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. Um, there have been certain deaths, like Phil Hartman's hit me hard. Chris Farley hit me hard. Uh, Jan did, too. There was just something so enduring about her. I, I assume that had a big effect on you. Oh, same. I mean, yeah. you know, she, I, I'm not embarrassed to say she was one of my first crushes. And yeah. she definitely got me into comedy. Uh, you know, that whole cast of, of 86 to 91 was was so important to my life and, and who I became uh, and, and my sense of humor. And Jan was such a huge part of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was devastating when, when we lost her. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Jan's one of the cast members that people seem to speak most glowing about over the years. Like, it reminds me of how people talk about Gilda Radner in a way, just people loved her. And, you know, why do you think Jan is so loved? And I guess by extension, why do you think she's a good candidate for the SNL Hall of Fame? You know, I think she she just had this incredible respect of her peers and not just the people that she worked with, but the people that came after her. I mean, I think you can draw... Uh, a pretty straight line from Jan to Molly Shannon to Kristen Wiig, all the way to Heidi Gardner. Uh, I think one of the reasons I love Heidi Gardner so much in this current cast is she reminds me so much of Jan. You know, she doesn't always have to have the spotlight on her. She's a chameleon in in the roles that she plays. And, and this was something that uh, Jan was all about as well. Going all the way back to, uh, you know, Lorraine Newman has said she is the most important person in SNL history. Wow. Now, She's an original, not ready for primetime player. Yeah, and Lorraine's she said, been around some important people. In yeah, history. you know, yeah. worked with Belushi and Aykroyd and Chevy and 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 Bill Murray and mm-hmm. Gilda, and says that. So I, I think that's testament to, you know, the kind of person that Jan was, a singular talent, and uh, that's why I think she belongs in the Hall of Fame for sure. Wow, well, well said, and thank you so much, Bill. I knew you were the guy to talk about Jan Hooks. Uh, <laughs> that was a, a wonderful conversation. So, yeah, thanks for joining me. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Jan Hooks. Yeah, Jan Hooks. Uh, Jan Hooks, SNL Hall of Famer. How does that sound? To me, that sounds like a lock and a key, and it is a done deal as far as I'm concerned. When I cast my ballot, it will have Jan Hooks' name on it absolutely for certain. Uh, What about you? What do you think? That's the important thing here. Have you registered to vote? When the time comes, you're going to need to have registered to vote to vote for your Hall of Famers. And I think it's real important that you do that sooner than later. You can do that by clicking on any of the SNL Hall of Fame links for episodes or on our uh, SNLHOF.com webpage. Now, let's seal the deal here once and for all and play the aforementioned sketch 
that Thomas and Bill were referring to the hilarious impersonation of Betty Davis. And this is the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the will reading. We'll call it the will reading. That's what we'll call it, the will reading. I'd like to offer my condolences. Your mother was a truly remarkable woman. Yes, she was. There will never be another like her. Mother and I had our differences, but I'd like to think that in the end, deep down, she loved me very much. Yes. yes. Well, Miss Davis was a very thorough woman. About a year ago, she sent me a videotape of her last will and testament. And no one has seen it until now. You mean we're actually going to see our mother? Yes. Now, this can be very upsetting. Will you be all right? We'll be fine. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Betty Davis. Hello, Michael. Hello, BD. If you're watching this, it means I've kicked the bucket. And you are with that oily lawyer. He tells me I am worth a lot of money. Well, I don't care! The only thing more trouble than money is a man. And the only thing more trouble than a man was John Barrymore. <laughs> 1931. Howard Hawks was throwing a party for Edna Ferber. I arrived late and everyone was in the pool. Well, the day before, Jack Warner had given me a hat. You see, we had been at the lounge in the Roosevelt Hotel, and he had lost a bet that Preston Sturgis could hold more cashews in his mouth than me. Well, John Barrymore saw this hat and decided then and there that he did not like it one bit. I had just finished The Old Maid a week before, and it was a dreadful picture. The woman who did my hair was stealing cigarettes from my purse. Is there any way we could, you know, fast forward? Yes, uh, oh, to the part about the estate.
have a bad life. <laughs> I get nothing. Well, that this just can't be right. Enough. I don't need to see it. Barbara, there may be some specifics. Forget it. Like Forget it. <laughs> have you got anything to eat? Yeah, I have some milk, duds. Great. You want me to scan this part? No. No, this is fine. Man, she's good. Yes. Remarkable woman. <laughs> A remarkable woman indeed. In this case, though, we're talking about Jan Hooks, not the late Betty Davis. Uh, what else can I say? The ball is in your court now. Uh, will you choose to enshrine her in the hall? We shall see. Uh, I hope you do, because she certainly belongs. That's what I got for you this week. Next week, we'll be back with the host category, and we'll be talking about the divisive at one point, certainly not divisive, but certainly now the divisive Alec Baldwin. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, turn out the lights on your way out. The SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Podcasts and such.